Good evening and welcome back to another edition of the JMU Sports Blog Podcast. I'm Todd. I'm joined as always by my buddy Rob. What's going on, Rob? Oh, nothing. Just hey. enjoying the um, the victory Monday, as they say. Ooh, uh, it's, it, it was, it was, wasn't it was so sure one. this was going to be a victory Monday for a while, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a tough one, but hey, Richmond lost, JMU won. Yeah, uh, Dukes are 4 0, uh, still ranked third in the country. Everything's still in front of them. Uh, we'll get to all that to, uh, tonight. As always, brought to you by Mossy Creek Fly Fishing in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Big thanks to Brian and Colby and the team down there um, for sponsoring us, as always. You can go by the shop anytime and mention the podcast and get a free sticker from Mossy Creek. Uh, it's a good time, Rob. The weather has just been incredible the last couple of weeks. So. Uh, for those people who enjoy it, um, it is time to get out there and fish right now. So, yeah, yeah, it, it's that time of year. Um, and there's lots of good stuff going on. I know they're flipping over their merchandise, getting ready for the holiday season. So there's all kinds of new stuff coming in. So go buy the shop or look online. You can buy everything online um, and check them out anytime. They've just been putting out awesome fishing forecasts lately, too, that make me jealous. So, yeah, hopefully we'll get to enjoy that at some point. Um we're going to cover football tonight and pretty much just football. Big shout out to field hockey this weekend, though. They had uh, two big wins on the road. Rob, I don't know if you saw that, but like big wins, you know, I, I don't know. That team looks like they're kind of humming along here. So yeah, they do. They look like they got it going. Yeah. So we've, we've always been big field hockey fans and, and we'll be paying attention as this goes along. They're certainly uh, putting their stamp on the fall season, uh, despite not being in Centera Park. So yeah, Rob, we got a fun, a couple fun overtime type things tonight too, and a big game to look back at and a big game to look forward to. Um, but let's just get into it, right? I, I mean, what do you want to talk about overall? Like, I don't know. I mean, hopefully, oh, Ang- oh I mean, I, yeah. I'm, I'm never right at the way I look into a game, but I was very confident that Jamie was a better team, and really thought the only way they could possibly lose was if they beat themselves, and I was right. I mean, like, I, no. no <laughs> Yep. No disrespect to New Hampshire, but JMU was thoroughly outplaying them. They were going into the half. JMU made, by my account, what three mistakes. Mm-hmm. All three were costly. Mm-hmm. You know, the two fumbles and the interception. But that was it. Like it really wasn't a close game in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the JMU defense was all over New Hampshire, yep. like we thought they'd be. Yep. So you know, it's it's an inexperienced QB. Yep. The guy was on his heels. He couldn't do it. The offense was moving up and down the field. I mean, and then you got a fourteen point swing. At, at the end of the half with that Thornton fumble, which mm-hmm. was tough. And you're caught in a very tough game in a kind of house of horrors for JMU. There have been oh, some very bad, bad games. Always, yeah. 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 Um, so I, I want to say I don't know, but I did know and I do know. Like This is what happens when you play at New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, JMU was better. Anybody who came out of that game thinking – that New Hampshire was evenly matching Jamie was crazy. Yes, no, um, that's not the case. But New Hampshire played how we thought they would, mm-hmm. try to keep it close and catch some breaks and win an ugly game. Mm-hmm. And they almost did it. Yeah. You know, they, they came really close to doing it. But it, it would have been stealing a game in every sense of the of the phrase. Yeah. I, I've been back and forth on this since since the fumble return um, mm-hmm. on Saturday, like back and forth on this. And like, how do we approach this tonight? How do we look at this game? You know, is it uh, – it's so hard. I mean, this is what makes football so hard to take a look at is the small sample size. You just don't know, mm-hmm. right? And, and uh, you look around the FCS this weekend. I mean, I, North Dakota State barely won. You see Davis barely beat Idaho, who's trash. Like North Dakota Sam State Houston has one or two barely, of these games. 
yeah. every season where they tease us into thinking they're going to lose and they grind one out. So I think it's the mark of a good team, yes. not the mark of a team that has some sort of weakness. By the this way, is... rivalry name we missed, Rob. Sam Houston, Stephen F. Austin, Battle of the Piney Woods is a, oh. pretty, is a pretty good one too. Yes. Um, but yeah, Sam Houston held on by one point. In their, you know, House of Horrors at Stephen F. Austin this weekend. Um, yeah, just just really, it's not unusual. Everyone in the top 10, I mean, Eastern Washington beat Monte. Obviously, that was a close game. But I don't know how to look at this. I, I, one part of me, I will say this. If, if I was my normal, optimistic, positive self, I would say, you know, two weeks ago, Weber had a very similar play go against them. And that caused an, an, a full system meltdown. They folded. Full, like they completely folded and JMU like hung it on them in the third quarter and they, they could they never have, recover. Yeah, They might have folded for the season. I said that at the time that I thought yeah. that was a great win. Well, they won the this weekend, but yeah. yeah. But I still think there's a very good chance that they are going to be the best non-playoff team. Yeah. Um, team the I got really mad at, during the game. I was like all fired up. And then I, I saw um, Jack Fitzpatrick and Bennett, somebody tweeted like, is JMU in real danger of losing this game? And at that, and immediately New Hampshire scored the go-ahead touchdown. And I was like, yes, yeah. of course they are, right? In the third quarter. But um, See, I didn't it, think they were. It's so awesome. I, like, I, was, I was never concerned. I was like, they're the better team. This uh, is fluky. The fact that it didn't start. I mean, there were several mistakes, but it wasn't the degree that it snowballed and just went off the rails like Sam Houston. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I was getting a little bit nervous when they were driving, but I wasn't pacing or anything. I was like, Oh boy, this is closer than we thought. But the, the ball don't lie. Like they're gonna, yeah, they'll get a break. It'll come around. They're the better team. They they punched back. They've been fighting. They didn't implode. It's all gonna work out. Well, before we started recording tonight, Rob, I, I said that this has been one of my, um, you know, I, I sort of make it my mission to try to avoid stress at work whenever I can, and I, and I can't help it this week, and. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I was like, ah, am I going to go on there and just melt down? No, myself. And then, and then I was like, no, really lucky. I, I'm just going to pour myself an Amy Schumer-sized glass of wine here and uh, <laughs> enjoy the recording. Um, and I and I do. I, I just, Jamie won the game. I, I don't know. I, I thought Signetti was pretty right on in his post-game comments, which is, we played like crap. And I'm sure the message boards will be out of control, but we're also coming home with a win. Yeah, you know, and I, yeah, I don't know exactly how to look about this. Um, we can all Tiger Woods when Tiger used to say, you know, it's good. I didn't have my A game, and I still won. That used to drive people crazy. Yeah, but I think there's merit to that. You know, yeah. Jamie did not have its A game. It still thoroughly dominated, mm-hmm. overcame some pretty critical mistakes, and got the W. So yeah, there's plenty to work on. Yeah, but that's football. Yeah, you know, and as much as we hate to to give any team in the CAA credit in this current state yeah. of the Jamie fandom. New Hampshire has traditionally played some really, really tight games and played Jamie pretty even. I think when Jamie's up after that, what, like 12-9 in, in the series history? Series history, yeah. And, yeah. And, and one thing, I mean, the small sample size, too, I mean, the, the it's almost not worth worrying about at this point. They won the game, and they have three, well, t- at least two tough games in the next three weeks. And they're finally coming home this weekend for a very tough game, and we'll know more on Saturday. So it's not worth stressing over um specifically rob as we go into four downs here what is your first down you know kind of specific takeaway here i, I kind of continue what we we're just talking about like they took a punch and, and won a game that got very ugly and they just uh-huh. didn't fold to me they, they got off the mat and they didn't fold and yeah. as proud as i've been of cole this whole season as and as he's continued to prove himself again and again 
I'd be lying if I didn't have a little of that, uh-oh, here we go type thing. Like that, that was a bad interception. That was uncharacteristic. Yeah. Um, it was one of those things where that, that ball should not have been thrown. The receiver was not open. As soon as he let it go, I was like, uh-oh, you know, that, that's done. The receiver had that one dialed in. And I just was very concerned that we were going to see a Danucci like No, credit road, to Cole you know, for like, coming yeah, back or, and hanging in there in that game. Yeah, exactly. Um, we saw Vad Lee even ha- have a game where it just gets away. But he came right back and he made the plays he needed to make. So mm-hmm. I thought it was great. You know, they, they did. Signetti's going to be far more critical of the team because he knows sure. maybe plays that, that went for big yardage or went first downs weren't actually executed the right way. But I thought they did a lot of things right, but the few things they did wrong were about as costly as any mistakes I've seen this season. Like, and some of that is just bad luck. Yeah, um, the Thornton fumble. It's like, the, the Thornton uh, fumble, I mean, they are what they are. It, it's just, uh, it's, it's like, there's so many things that could happen there, right? I mean, that ball could roll out of bounds and it's harmless. Yeah, the ball could just roll and the guy fall on it and it's like relatively harmless. You know, like but as soon as he picked it up, when oh, he it, was got over, back, yeah. it was over. Like those guys at JMU showed why they're on the offensive. I'm side glad of the ball. you brought that up. So I was gonna. <laughs> they say, had no idea so what's going on. Big, big like, credit. I wanted to give. I, I was meaning to bring this up. Mm-hmm. Huge credit for the effort to both yes. Antoine Wells Jr. and Latrell Palmer for hustling all the way down the field. But they didn't know how to make take an angle. We all know why they play offense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Those are two of our very best players, and they're extremely gifted and talented players. But wow. And they're keeping pace. They just didn't know how at what point they stopped running and trying to make a play. I know. (laughs) They got put on skates three or four times, but still were able to keep catch up again. Oh, no, huge credit. 100% grade for the effort there. They were running all the way to the goal line, but yeah. (laughs) I, I kept thinking, like, offense. oh, they're going to make a play, and then they're just not. They just didn't. Play. They were like looking at each other. Um, no. And before again, we get I mean, away, we, we should talk about Cole. I, you know, we try to be as generous as we can be. We've always said we're a little, you know, we're a little more critical of the quarterback position because it, you know, both it, it's yeah, it's it's quarterback, right? Um, I thought this was both one of Cole's worst and best games. It was certainly the worst game he played since he was reinserted in the lineup in the spring in terms of throwing the ball. It's really funny because he was like 14 out of 17 in the first half at one point. A little bit of dinking and dunking. Yes. And he was missing. There was a ball that like he almost got Thornton killed on. Like it was a completion, but there was a crossing route and clearly there were other guys more open. Like I, I felt like he just wasn't crisp. A few balls were high this week, but to his credit, he made some huge plays with his feet later in the game when it was really mattered. And he did make that a couple really clutch throws late. You know, I thought, I, it, was, I thought it was his most shore like performance in the fact that he had an interception was. and it didn't affect his play. That's what I was thinking. Like the best thing about Cole is it in past Cole games, when he has the bad play, he, there's and, a hangover. Right. And, and I gotta say, I mean, on, there was some coaching, you know, JMU obviously was running that, like, they were just running those straight, like, you know, kind of little league out patterns all through the first half. And they settled in and they didn't make any change. And New Hampshire clearly told the, must have told the DBs at at the half, like, go for it. Like, what do we have to lose? We have a a yard. And the guy jumped it and he made the play. I I thought, um, even defensively, I thought we got a little comfortable uh, in, in sending a fifth or sixth rusher. And then New Hampshire in the second half, clearly at halftime, New Hampshire figured out we're going to throw right towards where the rusher comes from. 
Just throw those low just ones. Just throw those the little hot routes to where the guy yeah. comes from. And they kind of lit us up until I, I think Heatherman and company did adjust in the fourth quarter in particular. And they stopped blitzing and just went back to the four. You know, it's like New Hampshire can't throw the ball. Like they could, like clearly the quarterback could not throw against seven or eight in the back. So it was just like, let's just rush with our big guys and see what happens. Um, so yeah, I, that's, I, it's a good way of putting it, putting it out for first down, Rob. It's um, yeah. Second down. I did want to touch on a couple guys. I mean, we, we talked about Cole. I really enjoyed, I don't know if you listened to Medea's podcast last week, but I really enjoyed that. Uh, Wayne Davis had mentioned the two real leaders of the team according to, and I think if anybody has the has earned the right to to speak on that particular topic it's Wayne Davis right but he mentioned uh, Tucker Dorsey and Clayton Cheatham were the two real voices in the locker room and I thought it was interesting that you know he said that last week and then pretty much the two biggest plays of the game came from, you know two of the biggest plays of the game came from those two players right of the season of the season yeah. right Tucker Dorsey makes the interception to seal the game and Clayton Cheatham had that huge catch you know tight window over the middle um, on that third down conversion to kind of keep keep the ball late so yeah I thought that was kind of interesting I mean there's a reason guys get rewarded with being leaders and it usually has to do with they have to be able to show it on the field and mm-hmm. it was great to see both of those guys you know sort of earn that spot. Um, so I just I just really enjoyed that that kind of came so quickly back around. I don't know if there were any particular other, um, you know, standout performances you had in mind, but that's those were the ones I was thinking of right away. Yeah, Tucker Dorsey, I thought, was, I, I thought Brown showed, showed up a little bit. You know, he oh, didn't yeah, get Reggie Brown and, and Curry, um, yeah, Kevin Curry Jr., both. Yeah. I mean, it was nice to see some extra receivers. It was. Yeah, we got Brown's some injuries there, right now for sure yeah, because there were really a lot did. of – people playing in this game. And it was weird because I got all excited at halftime where so many of these new names had contributed. Um, you know, what's the guy? Uh, is it Hunter Meehan? Number 49 on defense was playing really well. Uh, it was great to see Sam Kidd fully engaged again. But at the same time, then in the second half, you're like, ah, where, where's, where are the guys we need? Right. You know? Um, so it was kind of nice to see Percy back in there in the second half a little bit, though. Latrell has clearly earned the, I don't know. They handled the Percy thing a little weird. I, I think I understood yeah, it, right? But I, I didn't understand it. I didn't I understand it. Like, if he's healthy enough to go back, but then he didn't get his first carry, I think, until the second quarter. He got yeah. six carries overall. So I'm like, was he healthy? Was he not healthy? Luttrell, I thought, had some great tough runs. Yep. Um, Austin Douglas had some him, really but, good plays, too. But I thought that was the type of game where you could have just started throwing different stuff at him with another guy like Percy to see if he could open up. Because the running game never really got going the way the Dukes expect it and kind of need it to, to yeah. win these next couple of weeks. It's weird. Cause I don't know. I mean, the one thing with Percy not having played a lot, we saw Latrell Palmer make a great one-handed catch at one point uh, out of the backfield. We saw Douglas make some catches out of the backfield. There's sort of a, like, it's not just the running back. It's not just the running straight running plays. It's like your command of the offense when you haven't played at all this season. Yeah. And you kind of feel like maybe Latrell and Douglas have earned a chance to, I, I don't know. I just I hope we'll see more of Percy. He certainly looked healthy. I thought. I mean, the few carries we saw from him, I thought he looked pretty sharp. So you know, hopefully that'll just be coming back more and more. Um, yeah, I mean that that was an interesting way to go about it. Uh, one guy on the coaching staff, Rob, I want to give a a little shout out to that I think deserves it is I got to give a shout out to Grant Kane here, the special teams coordinator. Uh, we killed him all spring. I yeah. probably more than anyone killed him. 
And I know they had the extra point blocked, which is frustrating. I don't know that an extra point block is on. That's a tough one to put on the coach, right? Like you didn't block the guy. Yeah. um, But the fake field goal was expertly executed. And clearly, you know, Signetti credited Kane after the game with noticing that on film and coming up with the play. I mean, they clearly, that was like what North Dakota State always does to JMU right there. I mean, JMU just, you know, that was just New Hampshire was doing something stupid in the way they lined up and JMU was ready to capitalize. So, you know, I was really pleased to see that. I also thought Jack Schroba, another guy on special teams, yeah, that we that we have been at times um, critical of. He, he played that, that fake, oh, return. the fake Perfectly. fair catch, yeah, fake fair catch. Like that's what you do. You know, you, you put your goes back in. He not only did he do the fair catch, but then he took a couple steps forward mm-hmm. to really draw. It's one thing if you sit there and everybody still comes around you, mm-hmm. but he created even more confusion to create the touchback. I thought that was a really kind of subtle. Big play. Well, and I think to Coach Kane, to the coaching staff's credit, there's been a little bit of that, um, I don't know, mixing and matching on special teams. Like they've been using Shroba and Swan, but they need Swan to play potentially some DB right now with all the injuries. So they, I think they really don't want to run him. Like he played a lot of corner in the second half, and I don't think they want him out there returning kicks if they need him at one of the corner spots. And then the same thing, since Van Horst got suspended – you know, Thornton was back there and Thornton had a great kick return that got called back for the holding. But I mean, that's not on the returner. I mean, I I, I thought special teams played, you know, what, they, they contributed in a really positive way this week with the Schroba play and the fake field goal, I, I thought. And that that's a real positive for JMU moving forward. So I, I don't know if you had any other here, third, fourth down type things, Rob. I just I, I kind of wanted to kind of give it up to Palmer because that was a tough yeah. game. For sure. the reasons we just stated, it was schematically, I don't know what was going on. They seemed to just kind of pound it in between the tackles. It wasn't working, but he still is just such a beast. And and he very rarely gets negative yards. Um, he broke one off for like 19-20, but I just thought it was a really, really good game by him, even though statistically it, it wasn't his most effective. Mm-hmm. But they controlled the clock. The time of possession was enormous. You know, they kept New Hampshire off. And got to the point where when they needed to start moving, um, I felt like he carried so much of the load. The rest of the offense was fresh, if yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he, he really just he, he put it on his shoulders. And again, where they weren't having a lot of effect, but he just is such a tough runner and mm-hmm. pounded away in those little, you know, even though they only average like three and a half yards to carry, which is nothing for them. It says a lot about him when we were doing it. When, I mean, whatever happened with Percy, it was very clear. Percy was not going to get a ton of carries. Um, Douglas had flashes, Van Horses out. So. I just want to give it up to him. I think he's just he's, – he's a guy that everybody's excited about. But with Percy out, I think he's proven that he can be a future back. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. Sure. I mean, a couple other – I mean, Lorenzo Bryant, I thought, he has a lot of Trey Sharp in him. Yeah. Like, he, he's not that – he's not clearly not as big as Percy or Luttrell, but he's really solid on the short yardage plays. Like, he seems to hit that cut, one cut, and get – you know, squiggle through the hole the really sticks. well. Yeah, I mean, he does a good job on those plays as well. Uh, I was trying to think of anybody. It's just such a weird game. Rob, I do have one more question for you, like coming out of this, the big picture. So I think we ta- said tonight, and I think the stats back this up, JMU was a better team than New Hampshire. It's a little harder to make that call about last year's Sam Houston game or certain games. But I do wonder with this team – I almost left the game wondering, like, would they be better if they were challenged more early? Like, I hate this team when they get up. Like, 
they seem to like think we're we're good. Like we got this. Like I don't know if they gas each other up during the week and they say like we're going to beat this team if we do this we just have to beat don't beat ourselves. I mean this was a game where they're what were they up 10 nothing and it was about to be 17 and the game's 10, over. 10, yeah. Yeah, or whatever and then yeah, and then you know the Sam Houston game obviously had quite a bit of that at halftime. You know, feeling very good about themselves. I mean, I don't know how to you know, from a sort of coaching and motivation standpoint, I just don't know. Like, I, the Sam Houston game was a lot closer talent wise, and JMU got a got a lead, but it didn't feel. I think the this same is way. different. This one felt different, right? I, well, yeah. I think this was different because it was dumb mistakes. It was Thornton fumbling where he normally would, you know, fighting for extra yards. It's not. Oh, the Greg back Ross play. big plays. You know, it's it's yeah, the Ross. Those are just yeah, those were unfortunate. But it's not like Sam Houston where they just let a single guy beat him on a punt return and then take one to the house or just complete failures where guys not doing their jobs. Yeah. These were more just like dumb mistakes. It yeah. wasn't just like we've seen in the past where a receiver stops running a route and it's a yeah. you know, it was just one of the, well, or the corner miss they just blown coverage and then the guy runs fifty six yards and then they give up another kick. Like it yeah. wasn't boom 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 failures. It was just dumb mistakes from turnovers you know turnovers yeah, yeah, happen. yeah well and i thought there was a little bit maybe that was just me as a fan I, I felt like there was a little bit of lack of urgency on offense in the second half in the third quarter in particular um but at the same time maybe some credit is due to the offense for like not panicking in the way that i was and realizing like there are more possessions in this game you know i, it, I don't know it's good and i was saying before that i wasn't really worried mm-hmm. But that still doesn't mean you don't play without. There's a difference between not panicking and playing without urgency. Yeah, and I think that's what you're saying. Like it, it seemed to be a little too far in one direction. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, they snuck out. They snuck out of Durham. Um, we're going to talk about that in OT a little bit tonight. It won't be the first or last time you hear about awful close calls in Durham, New Hampshire, in what otherwise might be successful seasons. We have an enormous game on tap. I don't know why it feels this way to me, Rob. Maybe it's because I haven't for life reasons have not been able to attend one of the first two games this year. So this Villanova game will be my first in-person one, but it feels like they haven't been home in forever. You know, they had the bye week they went to Weber, they went to New Hampshire. Like it feels like a long time and now they're coming home for, and they played Moorhead and Maine yeah, they weren't they real games, like in the first couple of weeks. And this feels <laughs> like the first real game of the season, like yeah. at least at home. Right. Um, and it's weird that it comes uh, in mid-October, when usually there's been at least one real game before that. Uh, so big game on tap this weekend for family weekend. Uh, what's one thing you're looking ahead to this weekend, Rob? Exactly what we're just talking about. Can the offense play with a little more urgency and a little more creativity? Mm-hmm. I, I I love the play calling all year. I didn't love it on Saturday. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that there weren't reasons for it or they didn't see something they thought they could wear them out or they were just trying to keep the ball – uh, in the offensive hands, but I, I I think it's a little dicey on a team like Villanova. You can't just count on, well, as long as, you know, if it's one score, we get the last possession, which they didn't even have. You know, that almost didn't work out in New Hampshire. I think about it. New Hampshire's driving. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think you got to strike, and you, you need to get out of a bigger lead. Villanova is a talented team. Mm-hmm. You can't just try to get out to a seven-point lead and ride it out. You really got to go, and you got to strike, and you got to put this one away. I think even more so with the injuries. I don't think the injuries are an excuse not to try that stuff. I think it's a mandate more to do it. Um, mm-hmm. So you can maybe get Wells out there. You don't need to have 
Wells or Percy, you know, grinding it out on the last drive, trying to make plays, extending things and making the injuries work. You, you got to get out there, build up a lead, coast home, take uh, just, yeah. I want to see more than what we saw. Like you may not have a choice this weekend, but yeah. No, yeah. We'll but see. you got to try. That's something like, I want to see yeah. more strikes. Cause yeah. there was a lot of dinking and dunking, which mm-hmm. I don't always love. And I think Cole throws a pretty good deep ball. He connected mm-hmm. really big one in the third quarter with Thornton. Yeah. But, yep. Uh, yep. I want to see more of that. I want to see him get aggressive and go. And I think that helps the running game and it all, it all went together. So I yep. want to see that really creative and risk-taking Jamie offense that we've seen earlier in the season. Yeah. This will be a fun one. I, the thing I'm looking forward to this weekend, Rob, for our other one here is the crowd. Yeah. Um, I, And I know a lot of people, so this game is sold out. 25,000, right? Villanova usually brings a solid, you know, 500. They bring their little section over there in the corner um, on the old side of the stadium. But uh, tickets are going for astronomical prices. Now, we know this is family weekend. And I I, I also want to, first of all, this will be the first big, full Bridgeforth game in two years. That's in in and of itself, that's awesome. But B, I've seen a lot of this old, um, you know, our old cliche about the family weekend slash parents weekend crowd being the quietest of the year. And, you know, this used to be a game that JMU would always put at noon and they've moved it. They, you know, they managed to delay it till two o'clock now. Um, I actually don't think that anymore. People were, I, I've seen all this negative. I don't think the family weekend crowd is bad anymore. The problem no, with, the problem with what used to be parents weekend when we were in school was our parents had no like they had no frame of reference for what JMU football was or wasn't like it wasn't good or bad. It was total indifference, right? It well, might, you couldn't forget about like watching the games. That was an impossibility. Yeah, no, you couldn't even find a write-up, you know, you'd, right. you'd open the sports section and they would have other scores like in the Washington post and it'd be by region. You'd look mm-hmm. at like North South. It wasn't even, you know, by division, yeah. you would just need to look and you'd try to find the score. And that's all you got. Um, there was no way to really consume it if you were not in the stadium. Well, and, and I know this is anecdotal from, from me, but this is true, I think, anecdotally across um, the season ticket base, which is, Rob, our tailgate neighbors have a daughter who's no longer in school, and they still go to the games. Like, they're not – they weren't, like, died in the wool, but they love JMU football now, and this is a really fun thing. I think a lot of these parents now are – the reason these tickets are costing money is because people are interested in watching this team in this game. Like if your kid is a senior at JMU at this point, you are very aware of what JMU football is and has been for the last five or 10 years. And you want to go because it's fun, not because, oh, there's right. nothing else to do on Saturday afternoon. No, and I, and I know like, you know, you can say that kind of thing. I mean, my dad, right, loves football more than anything. But even he was like totally unaware when we were in school of like what the story was with JMU. Whereas if I was in school now, he'd be all over this. You know, and the other thing about family weekend that people forget about is students who normally, you know, if there's a late afternoon or evening game, they are looking for every excuse to get out for Saturday night, right? For whatever the plan is. The one thing about the family weekend game is there's no, like, like, I mean, what, you're going to go out to dinner, like with your family? Like, I I don't know. This was not, I mean, we remember this weekend in school. Like, this is the one weekend when students, I think, sometimes stay for at least three quarters, hopefully four, if it's close this week. You know, I, I don't know. I think there's a little bit of a lie. I think the family weekend is a bad crowd is a little bit of a, 
uh, it's, it's out it's of the, yeah, it's anachronistic a little bit. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm excited to have a big crowd on hand this week, and I think the crowd will be into it. You know, so uh, I, I just I'm really looking ahead to this weekend. I mean, we know Villanova has this quarterback that transferred from Campbell, who's pretty creative, and and you know it's Villanova. They're always annoying for us, but uh, hopefully. Hopefully we get a big performance from the Dukes. They certainly, I'm sure the coaches have their attention after that trip this weekend. Yeah, particularly after a bye week. You know, the, there, there was some, maybe a little lack of focus or something, but yeah. I think they're yeah. dialed back in after that. Yeah, so it, ah, I can't wait to see everybody this weekend. It's going to be really fun. Uh, we'll see what happens. Rob, we got a couple overtimes tonight. We were going to start with one that is football related. Um we wanted to remind people of close calls or even beyond close calls in the two JMU championship seasons. So I, I went back and looked this up, Rob. I mean, it, first of all, the most recent JMU championship season, 2016, the trip to New Hampshire was that that game where JMU was up 42, to, 42 to 10 or something and managed to win, sneak out of there at 42-39. Like, and they would turn that around, by the way, and – just destroy New Hampshire in the infamous lock the damn gates game, 55 22 in the first playoff game. So like, let's not get a, you know, get carried away here yet with how bad everything is or sky is falling that same 2016 year. I noticed that the Dukes beat Richmond in a crazy back and forth game, right? 47 43. I think there was a late Klusterman touchdown in that game. I mean, and I was not, I mean, I remember that part of the season. I, I was not in any way confident that we had, A, grown past the Withers days when we're winning games 47-43, and B, I wasn't sure that JMU was really good or not. Like, I didn't no, know was... if they were going to beat Richmond that day. You know, <laughs> you know um, they also that, – that was also – that's the same year. That's the game where Shore got hurt and Cole Johnson had to game manage and run them to a 20-7 to kind of tight nip-and-tuck game against Villanova. Late in the season. And then he had to start against Elon. Elon, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, let's not, you know, don't throw the baby out yet. Uh, And I think you, Rob, I know you remember the 04 team who lost their FBS game to West Virginia, but also lost to William Mary. Lost to William and Mary. In a great game. An absolutely great game. 27-24. Yeah. Yeah, that one. they had a very close game against Delaware. They won. That was the Cortez Thompson, no flags, no flags game. I think they had a very close one against Maine. They did. 24-20 over Maine and 26-20 over Richmond. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was just – it was was not just blowout, blowout, blowout. Um, No, and that William & Mary game, like the UNH game in 16, where they – well, they lost this in 04 – they would come back to beat William and Mary 48-34 in the FCS semifinals. In, in the semis, famous, the yeah, the temporary lights, lights. temporary lights at, at Zabel Field there. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I it was just our way of kind of taking a look back and saying things don't always go smoothly, and we as a fan base have gotten used to 24-point betting lines and feeling like that's the barometer of how well they play, and that's not always the, the way it works here. Well, even in the playoffs, remember they beat Lehigh 14-13, beat Furman 14-13 yeah. on a drive down the end. Was it Five downs, they got a penalty, and they got another yeah. chance. Yeah. Or, or Scotty, I, I, I can't even remember. It was a, right at the end. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, it was down to the wire. Yeah. Um, remember watching that one from the watch party at Roadside Grill. I know. Uh, we, we talked about last week. The first one, the Lehigh game, was the one we watched at summer. Summer. got torn down last week. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean – so and this is not 
in any way. I, I just we're not ready to give up on this team. I think they're really good. I think it's interesting looking around the FCS this week. I'd been coming into this week, Rob, thinking, well, the FCS has like six or seven. Like it wouldn't surprise me at all if JMU goes undefeated and doesn't get a top two seed. And that might happen to some other teams too. Um, right now they have four out of five weeks. They were going into the Weber game. They were going to play four, five games against four ranked teams, four of those games on the road. They've won two of those ranked, ranked road games. They have three games remaining. I don't know if Richmond's going to continue to be ranked after thankfully getting housed by Elon. They probably should not be, but they still play, um, you know, Villanova and Delaware, two top 15 teams in the next two weeks or three weeks. And this Villanova one is the only one at home. So again, if they can get through this five game stretch, that's what we've been kind of eyeing for months now. This is it. So yeah, you run the gauntlet. Yeah. You don't, you don't need to blow everybody out. Can you just get through it? Yeah. And then we do. And it's not even over. Like, I know this is, this is like, you know, nails on the chalkboard for Jamie fans, <laughs> but the season's not over. If they come out having dropped one of these games, you, you still can have things play out in your favor, depending on what else happens. I, I see you were like, oh, they could go undefeated and not make it. I think it's very unlikely that six or seven teams will not trip up at all. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I, I was having a little bit of a panic in the second half of this game this weekend because I, like you, probably would not – I recognize that one out of these five, I don't know. Like that wouldn't be the end of the world. But the way JMU had played New Hampshire in the first half, I felt like this is not the one you wanted to trip up on because New Hampshire's not good. And I think by the end of the year, having watched New Hampshire now, I, I mean, that's a team that's not a playoff team if they play the way they played this weekend. So I just, I don't, you know, I know they were ranked 25th this weekend. They had their own homecoming crowd in, in town and stuff, but it, that's not a good team. Um, we'll, we'll, we are going to see a good team this Saturday in Villanova. I, again, I, I mean, playoffs are kind of like a, I don't know. I mean, CAA is a tough, tough league and there's still going to be three or four teams in contention, but I do think Villanova is good. You know, I don't know if they are top five good, but they are good enough to beat JMU if JMU plays at all, like they played in the third quarter this week. So let's not do that again. This is not a situation where JMU just needs to not beat itself. They need to play good football. Well, and like we saw in the fourth quarter at Weber, and then the third quarter this week after that, or, you know, after the early start here, they just cannot take their foot off the gas here. You know, like you were saying, they got to find a way to get through to the players that there's nothing safe against the teams they're playing right now. So I don't know how to do that. There's too many data points the last, you know, th- three or four games. Yeah. Um, between Weber, this New Hampshire game, and then I guess Sam Houston. It's proven like leads can evaporate pretty good. Yeah. So we did get some good overtime topics this week, Rob, from our we, – we, we're going to co- ha- do our own. But um, it's funny. <laughs> I, I did see our, our friend there I would, that um, – Khalifa DJ, at Khalifa DJ on Twitter. We know her, I believe. Um, she said, should, should social media platforms go down more often? I think the answer is yes. Um, as, as long as Zencaster and Anchor stay up for us, the, the rest of it can all go down. Um, I also love that the hell site that is Twitter was the one that managed to be fine today while everything else fell apart. Um, yeah, everybody come back to Twitter where you hate yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was fun. Uh, Michael, one clutch. I think we might come back to that one a little closer to Halloween. He favorite scary movie. That's that's a good one. 
maybe we'll save that one for Halloween. Uh, I didn't put a lot of thought into that, but I like that one. And then Bennett, I think trying to, uh, I think go us into talking about yeah, pumpkin I think beers. he's trying to go us into <laughs> talking about pumpkin beers. Um, yeah, we did get a nice one. I noticed from Paula uh, recommendations for family weekend. Rob, is it, you have anything for that other than stay at the football game? Um, as long as you, if the game is close, stay. Like you're not gonna. What are you gonna leave and like walk around with your folks? It's a long day. Just pace it's yourself. It's a long day. You, 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 you get enough family time. Yeah, it's a good, good way to eat a chunk of time. <laughs> I don't think there's any reason to, to not tailgate. I think this is a reason to have a better tailgate. And maybe I do too. A little more mature, maybe you know, less less jumping on cars, more mm-hmm. having premium beer and some good food and actual real conversations. Um, a, a taste of what it's like as an adult, so to speak. Yeah. But enjoy time with your parents. There's something to be said for like when you're at an age when you can sit down and have a drink and just have good conversation with your parents more as peers. That's a fun moment in life, and I think uh, family oh. weekend tailgate is an opportunity to. Rob, we're so old. That. We're so old because I have to say, I thought the same thing, which is like, I want to encourage people to enjoy this time and like take a deep breath, spend an hour or two talking to your folks. Yeah. Um, it's not but like I have FOMO to admit that when I, I was going to say, I have to say that when I was a sophomore at JMU, I would, it was like, please go home. Like, is dinner over? Can you go home now? Like, worst, party, worst party weekend. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't book that room. You're going to have to stay in Stanton. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I, oh, I feel bad for that. Oh, sorry, mom and dad. Yeah. Yep. So, no, in, enjoy it while you can. Also, enjoy other people's parents. Mm-hmm. There's some funny stuff you're going to see. Like, I always got a kick out of, like, that one random friend's dad who would play beer pong with us or something. Yeah. Like, enjoy that. It, you know, yep. I, I don't it's know. Fun. I mean, don't encourage nonsense but you know enjoy it yeah. yeah so our one tonight we were going to talk about a uh, songwriting i think right rob yeah so we were going to say our favorite current songwriters we, we were kind of classifying this in like the under 60 category um you know so we're not going bob dylan yeah it was like yeah. obviously like dylan dolly parton you know uh, willie nelson there's lots of great people but we don't need to like continue rehashing that that those discussions um yeah so i mean i'm sure that our choices now are also going to be um, not too far out of the mainstream. We'll see. No. <laughs> Mine certainly and, won't be. Yeah, and they'll be there. I'm sure there'll be heavy intersection. Yeah. Why don't you go first? You, you, what's your first pick? Well, my first pick is Taylor. Yeah, Sorry, I, I, right? You knew this. Was I didn't even list her because I you figured she'd you be you the knew, first yeah. pick. There are. I was thinking about this week. Um, there are three lines in All Too Well alone that should qualify as like put you into the Hall of Fame, and I I just continue to think it's super underrated. Um. But the Dancing in the Refrigerator Light is an all-time classic. Um, Call Me Up Again Just to Break Me Like a Promise is so good. Uh, like, There's so much in that that song alone. Uh, just, the one where she says, um, you almost ran the red because you were looking over at me. And over, this is my favorite thing. So over doesn't actually make sense in the song. Like, the meter of the song, it should say looking at me. But she says looking over at me because like when you're 16 and you're driving in the car for the first time with like your first date that you're so excited about and you're like ridiculous hormones, you don't look at someone. You have to drive, yeah. but you do look over at them. Like it, yeah. the, it evokes something that isn't, isn't there. And so I just, I don't know. There's like that, that, that one's just too easy. So yeah. Yeah. No, she's great. Yeah. She's yeah. great. I still think she's a wretched human being, but 
Uh, yeah, but she wrote Bad Woman. Uh, anyway, sorry. Yeah. She's a great. She's a great songwriter. Yeah, yeah, she, makes, she, yeah, and yeah. she can. She's much more versatile. I think yeah. people give her credit for. Yes. Um, I'm gonna have a little bit of intersection with her. The whole. Oh yeah, yeah. Justin Vernon. Yeah. To me, I just I really value versatility and kind of diversity of mm -hmm. songwriting in terms of the types of different genres and different people they can collaborate with. And I just think he's amazing. When you when you can write songs you know, for your own, but under Bonnie Bear, then you can collaborate with Taylor, then you can collaborate with, well, I mean, Everyone. Kanye. Yeah. It's just, he's all over the place mm -hmm. and he makes everything better. And he can either kind of come forward and take the lead or he can write in somebody else's voice. Mm -hmm. um, both and he can sing, you know, as an instrumentalist and vocalist. And I just think he's incredibly, incredibly talented in the million different genres and collaborative partners he can work with. Yeah, he's really good. And I also like the, Going all the way back to our own JMU time, I love um, songwriting that like I can sit down with and can't figure it out, yeah. right? Or or it's open to like multiple interpretations. Interpretation. Yeah, I mean, I think we used to do that with some of the Dave stuff when we were in school, but it it wasn't really that difficult. We were just young and dumb. But the the Justin Vernon stuff is much harder to like. I don't know. You can, yeah, you can kind of enjoy thinking about it in different ways. So that's a good one. Uh, the only other one I was really thinking, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know a lot of hip hop. Obviously Kendrick is fantastic. It, it, and I know there's more to it than that, but that's of the albums in the last decade that have stuck out to me, a couple of those. Um, but then the one for me, the one that I was going to bring up on my personal wheelhouse is Mike Cooley. So instead of saying Jason Isbell or Patterson hood, um, Cooley's the sort of third leg of the drive by truckers originals. And, his stuff is actually some of my favorite. I know, Rob, we've been to a Cooley-centric show once through odd circumstances, and I just think he gets way overlooked. And right now, this time of year, he wrote um, a couple albums ago, he wrote First Air of Autumn, which is one of my favorite like post-Isbell drive-by trucker songs. Um, and I always am thinking about it this time of year. So I, just, I think that's good because I... I'm not a huge drive by truckers fan right. anywhere to the degree that you are, but I, I do enjoy the music. And I, as you know, I love Jason Isbell. Yeah. I think Jason Isbell and Patterson Hood, though, at times they can be great, but at times they're just too on the nose. Yeah, they do. To the point where it can be a, a little bit cringy. Like there's no room for interpretation. No. They're just, sort of, you know, um, whatever. Like I think both they, of them have kind of married into that over time, too. And just like, yeah. and they want to be, I, I don't know. I mean, I know they all think of themselves as punks, and so they want to kind of like be in your face about things sometimes. Yeah. But, but there was a power. To the, there yeah. was a real power to the early trucker stuff that, like, because it wasn't like they're telling a story about these moonshining guys that also is making a social point, yeah. like quietly if you're paying attention, not just like jamming it down your throat all the time. Right. Right? And yeah. I think that and I think be... Cooley tends to stick to that original manifesto the most yeah or the other two do not they, they veer from um yeah and at times it can just i'm like oh i'm in this good song but there's there's nothing subtle about this or right like that, too I, easy. I mean i could like there's public enemy albums for this purpose if i want them right yeah. like, you know, like, yeah. like like that are better than this you know yeah, like exactly yeah. exactly mm -hmm. um i don't know i again going my versatility theme i think Sturgill Simpson is an amazing yeah. musician and the way that he can reinvent himself with multiple projects, album over album, the way that he writes songs that can be played in different genres. Mm -hmm. And I, I think this is cool. Like 
Trent Reznor, when Trent Reznor has a song that works on his level, and then Johnny Cash can do it and just strip it down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Sturgill's the same way. And he just showed with his bluegrass albums. You can take these very sonically challenging things in Elgin ways and break them down just to old school bluegrass and they still work. Yeah. I think that's the mark of a really good songwriter. It is. And actually, you know, he's one of those ones that's funny because I put on like my, you know, streaming music service and I'll like just push the artist play, you know, some days at work or something. And a lot of times I'm not ready for that one, the, the like rock concept out, whatever that the one was from a couple years ago with the movie and all the stuff. But sometimes, some of those, sure. of, yes, but a few of those songs will sneak up on me some days and I'm like, I forgot about this. This is really I good. really like that album. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm like, ah. Mm-hmm. But I put it on because I'm thinking like, oh, this will be the country music I'm thinking of in my head and I want to listen to that in the background. Yeah, no, it's great. That's a great point. So, yeah. And then the, the one last guy yep. I was going to put, I, I think Chris Stapleton mm-hmm. sometimes gets overlooked. And just, uh, I'm not a huge like bro country fan, well. but he can write awesome songs for himself. He's written for Adele. I mean, he's written all sorts of country hits that oh, yeah. you hear from people and you're like, man, that's a good song. I can't believe so-and-so wrote it. And then you're like, oh, he didn't write it. Chris yeah. Stapleton wrote it. And, you know, right. He was just a classic natural songwriter where he's yeah. kind of beyond the scenes. But um, I think there's value in that. I, I have respect for that in the same way that even though I don't necessarily love all the output of a guy like Max Martin, mm-hmm. the guy's a pop genius. Oh, I, yeah. I think Chris Stapleton is kind of that version, but for the, the pop country sound. And then his own stuff. It's like he saved the best for last. And his, his, the songs he writes and performs themselves are just yeah. next level. Well, on the bro country theme, you know that I do love Eric Church. Um, and I, I wasn't going to br- bring him up, but I, I'd only to, I only bring him up to note that his first like mega, mega hit, Springsteen, was an absolute ripoff of Tim McGraw. Like it was the same concept, just a different artist. Like, you know, like a different genre and artist that were like, but that idea, and it was like two years after that, like if you notice the timeline, like that was just ripping off that original song. Yeah, anyway, so yeah. <laughs> and I love Eric Church. I'm not, you know, but like, yeah. Yeah, so that's how it goes. So yeah, anyways. Well, that was a fun one, Rob. And we'll be back. And, and I'm glad we don't, I mean, not that we don't want to do candy talk like every Halloween, but I do like the fall beers and scary movie idea for thinking about those going forward because i need to put some thought into the scary yeah that's nothing i can't do that off the dome no i have like i was thinking of like one in particular that always sticks with me but there's a few more that i know i like that i'd like to think on yeah so we'll get there but hey dukes are 4-0 and big game on tap this weekend first really big home game of the year first really big home game in since 2019 at Bridgeforth. I mean, you know, the Sam Houston game was on the road. I don't think the other playoff games prior to that were particularly notable. Uh, yeah, this is a, yeah, I mean, uh, this is really fun. I'm, I'm, I really, really hope they get through this one because I think that sets them up for the Richmond Delaware two step after that uh, to kind of, I don't know, they could, they could get put some big things on the table if they could get this one this weekend. Yeah. So anyways, Rob, um, unless you got anything else, I will talk to you next week. I'm in. I'm good. Have a good weekend, everybody. Good to see you. Go Dukes. When the fire inside that burns so bright begins to grow faded, it can be hard to see the ground on which you stand. 
you may not be afraid of walking in the darkness You will feel like a stranger in this land You can try to carve a faith out of your own But a broken spirit may dry out the bone And the edges of the night may cause you sorrow You know I may not be around this time tomorrow